welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Andrew Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. Jay, what's going on? Oh, not much. Just staring out at my my backyard slash river. <laughs> Seriously, is this is what it's like being in the rainforest. Like this is yeah. This is giving me actually giving me flashbacks to when I lived in Key West because you would have this would happen like once a year or a couple times a year where you just get two to three days of torrential, just absolutely. I drove my car like literally into like one of those. You see these cars that end up like floating, right? You see, you see these on the news the last couple of days. That was seriously me in Key West when I lived down there one time. I drove and it looked like it was just shallow and then it kept rising and rising and I was basically stuck and I just tried to plow through because I couldn't hardly even go back anymore. There was nowhere to go. And I just, my car just started <laughs> floating and I'm just floating down this river in it, the street. And I had to get out and like try to push it through the water. Oh, it's just everything about it was truly awful. The end of the Skylark. Yeah, I didn't see any floating cars, but my wife and I went to Key West for our 20th anniversary, and it dumped for two or three straight days. And I can't remember what the number is, but the the one day, the second day we were there, it was the the daily record rainfall for Key West. I mean, it just it, the streets were flooded. We didn't see floating cars, but it was it was amazing. Like we've been to Key West many times, we'd never seen it like that. I can't imagine living there and going through that once a year. There is no, I mean, there's no sewage there. It's just, it's an island. Yeah. You know, you've got this. So when it when it does that, you know, it's a problem. <laughs> it's a major problem. It happens in a hurry. Uh, so I can I can attest to that. That's not this podcast. Not about that. Although there's no, that's about where we're at with stuff going on with the Bengals right now. That we probably could do a whole podcast on that. We do have things. We do have things. Um, the, some news coming out of sort of this truncated owners meetings thing. A lot of a lot of work. Um, uh, new rules involving uh diversity and coaching uh i want to talk a little bit about that there's there's some Bengals connections to that um the big uh portion of this episode though is going to be jim turner Bengals offensive line coach jay you had a long conversation with him a portion of which uh you put up sort of in a q a form last week about the state of the offensive line everyone's favorite topic jim turner a uh animated guy would that would that be a good word Yes, that's fair. Animated, entertaining, and uh, interesting. I mean, yeah. he it, part of it was I think that that Q and A. There, I only put ten questions up there because he just he is not a he he's not one for brevity. I mean, he really and I don't <laughs> know if he's kind of filibustering because sometimes he doesn't really answer the question. And then he he goes off on a different tangent. And they're always interesting and amusing, but but maybe that's his way of kind of not answering the questions sometimes. But all of his answers were really long, and if if you haven't had a chance to to read it yet, um, you can still do that, and and then we'll play some of that audio for you later. Yeah, I think you know he's just he is a controversial figure, mm-hmm. and he is under a whole lot of pressure. And I don't think a lot of people have really heard from him. So we felt like with there not being a ton going on, we'd use this as an opportunity for you to really hear from him and his view on where they're at with the offensive line. It was a a, a really good, really interesting read. 
certainly last week, but uh, this kind of gives you a little bit more in depth. And you know, you you really need to hear Jim Turner to really get a to get a feel <laughs> for him too. And we'll talk a little bit more about him. Uh, you know, sort of the question of do you believe in Jim Turner? Um, should we? We'll get into that after after we hear from him. A few other nuggets of things going on: some run passer boot. Um, and a special, we've got a, uh, some special episodes, uh, that are coming up, uh, across our Cincinnati athletic podcast forums. And one is up now. It was myself, C. Trent Rosecrans and Mo Eger, um, joined by Jeff Brantley, uh, also for an interview. Looking back at the 1995 season, particularly when the Reds advanced and beat the Dodgers in the NLDS, the first NLDS that they'd ever had. Because the next one is going to be the last time the Bengals advanced uh, in the postseason. And looking back on the 1990 season, and in particular the 1990 playoffs where they had a 41-14 win over Houston, uh, and then lost to the Raiders 20 to 10 in the Bo Jackson game. So, uh, a, a real deep dive into those seasons and those teams and looking at it also through a lens of today. Um, what has changed? I'm really excited about these. We're going to be doing these, um, across different sports and starting with the Reds and Bengals here. So that one's going to be coming up, uh, in a few weeks. The Bengals one, but the Reds one is now live tonight. Um, it is not short, <laughs> but it was fun and it was lively and, uh, I, it really was interesting to, to dive into some of these topics. And I, you know, I found that I found it really interesting. Uh, and Jeff Brantley was incredible as you might imagine. So, um, anyway, check that out and look forward to the next one coming in a few weeks. Um, so the, I, I guess a breakdown of what's going on here with the, the moves for, to help with, uh, diversity in coaching and, and improving that and the obvious significant issue that exists in the league with that right now. You know, the Bengals have been in the forefront of this issue. Um, Katie Blackburn has been on that committee and headed the, the diversity committee for a long time, so, or at least been in a, a significant role on that. And obviously they had Marvin Lewis and, for, for 16 years. Um, some of the rules, what, what did you, I mean, there's a lot of opinions on the idea which they tabled of giving essentially draft pick compensation for hiring a minority into a, into a coaching position that had to happen. I mean, that didn't seem like the right answer there and they'll go back and work with it. But I mean, there's, this is a pretty significant push by the league to try to tackle this issue. They're not taking it lightly. No, not at all. And they shouldn't. Um, the, What's interesting to me is that the, what they, they floated out there and then tabled because everybody, even, even the, the people that are standing on the table, the, the biggest proponents of, of improving the diversity hiring, so many of them even hated that proposal of rewarding a team with, by climbing 10 draft spots for hiring a minority head coach and then another five spots if you if you hire a, a minority GM, it just didn't seem like the right way to go. And I almost I always I don't know I'm always skeptical of of the league's motives, and I just wonder if that was 
if that was intentional, let's throw something out there that everybody's going to hate. And then we, we take that off the table and do something else and people will love it. And it, it just, it, it just seemed like such a weird plan that, that they threw out that it, it kind of leaked. Jim Trotter reported it late last week and it was getting just killed on Twitter and, and in all platforms. Nobody was happy with it. And so they, they scrapped it and, and that's a good thing. And, uh, what the other things they've done, the the biggest thing was teams can no longer block assistant coaches from being from interviewing for coordinator positions and really the coordinator position is kind of a it's not a concrete job it's it's kind of a loose term basically if somebody wants to hire for a position on another team they already they don't have on their current team the team can't block them and I agree with that because that's that's the step to becoming a head coach is becoming a coordinator, and you need more diversity coaches in those positions. Um, but I was surprised, and, and I the one thing I disagree with it was I, I still think teams should be able to block those interviews if it's in the division. And the Bengals kind of had that happen last year. They didn't block it. They they told Alex Van Pelt that they wouldn't block it if if it came up, and it's he he went he left as quarterbacks coach here to become the offensive coordinator in Cleveland. That is a, a really rare move for to take a promotion like that in the division. Um, so I, I just, I thought that was odd. I, I thought that teams should still be able to, to block coaches from, from taking promotions within the division. I don't know how you see it, but did you agree with that? Or do you think they should uh, be able to? I, I don't, I don't think I hate that guys can get blocked in general. Like I, for jobs that are clearly direct pipelines to being a head coach. Like, you know, you want to block somebody to go do a lateral move. You want to block somebody. I I get all of that. You know, you're under contract, but you've, you've got to, you've got to, I hear so many stories about coaches and resentment over being blocked for jobs that they wanted to go take places and and a lot of guys that have felt like their career has been significantly stunted because of the blocking that occurs, specifically when teams just really value them in their current role. The One of the main ones that comes to mind was Vance Joseph. When mm-hmm. Vance Joseph was here uh, back in 2015, he was blocked very – pretty publicly um, – from having an opportunity to go be a coordinator. And he was a very fast rising DBs coach, but they really felt like they had a good team, which they did in 2015 and felt like they really needed him uh, as their DBs coach. So they blocked him and it stunned him from, I mean, he eventually got there. I mean, he got a year later, he never held any ill will. And I talked to him, I remember talking to him multiple times uh, at length about that topic and he understood it. It was part of something that the Bengals could do. He knew it was something the Bengals could do. I'm sure. He didn't like it at the time. Uh, but you know, he, he never, he, he never, he certainly never threw a fit about it, but there's many that have. And I know many that have been affected by, it. I mean, I look at somebody, this was mentioned, I think Albert Breer mentioned him today in a tweet when this rule was mentioned. James Urban, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> has been a really good position coach everywhere he has been. And the idea that he 
would be under contract in Baltimore and Baltimore could block him from going somewhere when he has been the quarterback's coach of Lamar Jackson's development. The story of the NFL last year was this guy's massive leap and he did it with James Urban as his quarterback's coach. James Urban, who was part of turning Marvin Jones a fifth round pick, Muhammad Sanu a third round pick into stars that got huge contracts here playing with Andy Dalton in, in that whole group with AJ Green. I mean, James Urban was a really good position coach here. He was a great position coach, a uh, quarterback's coach. He helped when Michael Vick broke out in Philadelphia. And yet, you know, he's been blocked at multiple points in his career from even being going out and interviewing and being a part of the conversation for coordinator jobs. These are guys that deserve it. And he's one of many stories across the league. And these, I do feel like you've got to take a little bit of leverage away from these owners who just feel like they can just do that because they, they, they want, they want to, take care of their own and not get, let these guys have a chance to grow. It's, I, I like that. And that is huge in getting more people and more faces in front of people and particularly the type of faces um, that they're trying to get promoted. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, I, even if you just block them within the division, they, they still have an opportunity with 28 of the other 31 teams. Um, but the, the other thing about that is um You've heard, you, you mentioned the stories that, that coaches tell about being blocked and how frustrating that is. The other side of that is it, it really frustrates them when they get the, so to speak, token interview where it's just a cursory interview. They're just, they're just, you know, pleasing or uh, abiding by the, the Rooney rule and they don't feel like they're getting a, a fair shake. And, and I wonder, you know, if, if that can happen in division where a team is almost on more of a fact finding mission and saying, Hey, we're, let's interview this minority candidate from this team in our division and, and kind of get his philosophy on things and then pump him for information. Um, it, it, I don't know. It just seems, it doesn't seem like the, the best practice to, to, to allow them that a, a team should be able to block a guy from staying in the division. He still has all kinds of other, opportunities but um that that what i mentioned with the rooney rule that was another part of all this is where we're now it used to be they had to interview at least one minority candidate for for a head coach job uh now it's two and, and i think that is a a big deal because well, for several reasons. Number one, when teams go into a head coach hiring position, maybe they would never tell you this, but maybe in their mind they have an idea of, okay, this is our first choice, this is our second, this is our third, and that can change drastically in the interview process. Like when, when the Bengals went looking for a coach at the end of, at the end of 2018, I, I don't think Zach Taylor was probably their number one choice, but he blew him away in the interview process. So if, if you give more minority candidates a chance to, to get in front of teams and, and, and get that practice and get a chance to, to really impress them. That, that just increases the chances of more hires there. And I don't know that the other part of it is if, if teams are making it a sham process, they can, they can come up now with some sort of committee or governing body where they interview these minority candidates after they've been interviewed and ask them, do you, do you feel this was a legitimate interview? Do you feel it was a sham? Because in the past, if they only interview one and there's a complaint, that team knows who it was. And now that guy can kind of be blackballed and, and it can cost him a chance to get future jobs. But if, if they're, if they're interviewing 
multiple minorities and then they ask them and then there's complaints, then the team doesn't know where that came from. I'm sure there'll be a promise of anonymity. Anon, I can't say that word, but a promise of being anonymous, whether that lives up to it or not. I do think guys would be more open to talk about whether the process was fair or just going through the motions. It's a tough thing to tackle, um, you know, for the league, for the world. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. so, so it's a really difficult issue, but the NFL is in a, is, it has a systemic issue here. I mean, this is, there is, there is no doubt. I mean, the, the, the reality is what it is. I mean, when you look at who the players are and the players that come through this league and they've been part of this game, and you look at who the owners and the GMs and the coaches are, it's obvious. And so whatever they can do to, to try to open that up, but it is something that not just, there's no rule because anybody that they, people want to get around it, they really can. It's, it's about the league recognizing this and trying to do something about it. Um, and people recognizing they need to be looking in different places, um, rather than going to the same old crutches. Um, let's get into Jim Turner. Um, in case you don't, Bengals offensive line coach, he has quite a history uh, himself. Uh, I don't know how much we need to relitigate all that here, uh, but you know, he came here amidst controversies that Taylor stood on the table for him time and time and time and time again. Um, in belief in Jim Turner as a really good offensive line coach, they they liked a lot of what they got in turning the offensive line around, particularly the running game last year up front and it is in the crosshairs again this year after not really doing anything and said betting on development well the person who's at the front of the bus uh in that development is jim turner jay you had a great interview with him um last week and so we're going to bring you a pretty significant portion of that here and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about uh jim turner and and if there's reason to really believe in in what he's saying here so here is uh jay's conversation with jim turner well, I mean, with with everything the way it is right now, I mean, I hate to hate to start with a, an old dog new tricks analogy, but but how are you adapting to the the new technology with the the draft run up and now the virtual meetings? Well, if if Coach Taylor was to be put under the gun right now and then rate the coach's ability to to deal with technology, I would probably be the last one. I would probably be the bottom of the list. <laughs> All right. Um, but if I was to give myself a grade, I'd probably say uh, I get a B minus. All right, but I, I've been working at it. I, I've done a good job at just learning how to deal with this Zoom and learning how to do this stuff on the run. Um, I mean, I'm old school, so I, I do most of my stuff just watching the video, the team I'm playing, and and so on, you know. But um, you have no choice. Yeah, you know, so you got to adapt to it and. Uh, you know, just the fact that my my whole, my whole computer setup is in my cellar, um, so I'm sitting there staring at a hot water heater in my ping pong table, uh, and then I meet with my players. So you know, we do the Zoom meetings. I meet with the players, and to be honest with you, um, just time wise, time wise, I mean, you don't spend any time on the road in between going to work and coming home from work. And you don't have anybody around you, you know, there's never a distraction. So you actually get a lot of work done 
You know, I mean, your, your family could be a distraction if you put your if you put your computer in the wrong place, right? If you put it up in the kitchen, I, I initially had it up in the kitchen, hmm. and it was like, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'll see a cheeseburger go by, and you know, and the next thing you know, I'm dreaming about cheeseburgers, right? <laughs> or my son comes walking through with his with his stick, and he's like, "Hey, Dad, we got to go outside," you know, so. Of course, you can't turn that down. So there's a lot of distractions that way. So I just locked myself in the cellar, and uh, it's actually worked, you know. So and distractions are very limited when you're home, you know. So the point is I, I do get a lot of work done. Um, now, the bad part about it, of course, is obviously it's better when you're in the office and you have players there and you're able to work them out and so on. But... um we're making it work though, you know, like the meetings with the players. I mean, you know, I'm usually facing the video screen just like they are, you know what I mean? And, uh, it's a small room when, when you're at work, but on this thing, I, I mean, they're all facing me. Like I'm looking at the video, but I can see all their faces at the same time. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just strange. It's strange. Yeah, a lot of scrutiny on, on your group last year and this off season. Um, feels like so much of the team's success will, will hinge on what the O line does this year, especially protecting the first round pick that is Joe Burrow. Do Do you feel any pressure because of that? No, uh, I'll tell you why. When when you show up to these jobs, right? So how many jobs have I had? I've had about I think nine jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you show up to these jobs, you know, you try and build something. And so, you know, you're like the head coach of your position. So you're the head coach and general manager of your position. And, uh, you know, of course, there are people over your head at both spots, right, that help you pick the players and 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 design the scheme and, and so on. But I look at it from that standpoint. So I don't expect it the day that I show up to be exactly what, you know, the picture that you're looking for. And so you begin to build. And if you listen to every piece of scrutiny on the way up, um, you know, then you're obviously, if you're affected by that, then, then you're really not going to do well at any job because, you know, I think every job, no matter what it is, uh, they have a vision when you get there, what you want, you know, what you expect. And of course that vision goes in hand with the, with the head coach and the owner and the general manager, or they wouldn't have hired you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that being said, you know, it's like, I'll give you two good examples. I'll give you Mike Jordan and I'll give you, uh, Jonah Williams. You know, those are both guys that, uh, that I'm part of the group that brought them in here. And those are guys that we want to surround ourselves with, you know, and then so guys that I didn't bring in, like Trey Hopkins, um, you know, he's a guy that you want to surround yourself with. He's, he's part of a vision. Um, of just a, a, a team that, like Coach Taylor always says, a team that's built around ca- character. And of course, um, before you can even talk about character, they have to have the talent to be here, right? There's a lot of people that have the character to be good football players and they play, in, you know, in college and so on, but they don't have the talent to play in the NFL. And so after the talent is checked off, now you look at their characters. So we're starting to bring it in, you know, like Xavier, uh, Suofilo, you know, I, just in the research that we did on him and obviously the videotape first. Before I do any research on his character, I look at the videotape 
and say, oh, well, this guy can play. And then after I say that, now you now you start to research the the the, the character and and so those are the guys you want to surround yourself with. You know, um, I look at I look at Alex Redmond. Um, you know, when we first got here, you know, did, were me and him, uh, you know, did we see the same exact way? No. You know, but after spending time with him now and watching him work and watching the effect he had when he came in a game last year, um, and when he first uh, came back at one point, we played against the Rams. And uh, you could just see the effect that he had on that game. And so he's another guy that we, we really, uh, that we like, you know, that we think can help us win. And Bobby Hart's probably the most scrutinized player of all. And uh, you really can't argue with the fact that Bobby did a good job last year. I mean, Bobby chopped his numbers way down. His penalty numbers were way down. His sack numbers were way down. Um, you know, so, and, and he, and he had a good year. He did a good job. Uh, did we, did we, did we destroy it last year? No, we didn't. Okay. We struggled at left tackle. And, uh, I just feel like, you know, with, if you're going to, if you have a major, major problem at one position, you know, the one that you can't have a major problem at is left tackle. Yeah. And so you got to do what you can to make that position right. And, you know, so that thing was a soap opera the whole season. And, you know, so you're just talking about when you look at Jonah Williams, like right now, so day one going in, Jonah's going to play left tackle. And, you know, you don't bring a guy in as a first-round pick to sit on the bench. And, you know, so it's almost as if we got Joe Burrow and Jonah Williams in the same year. And uh so, I mean, I feel good. I feel great about Jonah. I mean, you're talking about a guy, you know, he's so apprehensive right now just about getting to practice, just about being ready because he has never played in a game. So he's a first-round pick, but he's never played in a game. You know, like Joe Burrow got drafted a a month ago, and so he's going to have apprehension too, but it's going to be over soon because he's going to be in that first game. So And then he's going to see, you know, exactly how he fits. You know, Jonah's been sitting on this now for what, 15 months. So it's, it's 12 months, what, 13 months right now, but it'll be going on 15, 16 months by the time he plays in his first NFL game. So there's a whole set of, uh, anxiety there for the kid. And so, you know, and so as the coach, you're trying to, you're trying to really help him through that. And, uh, you know, but I love the fact that he is anxious about it because it just shows how much he loves it, how much he wants to be great at it. And uh, if you had somebody that didn't care, then you got a guy that's probably not going to do the things he needs to do uh, to be good enough or, or to play to the level that we need him to play at. When you draft a guy in his round, I mean, first round, the guy got to come in and play. Yeah. And and he's going to do that. I mean, you, so, you talk about him being basically you guys having two first-round picks. Um, even though he didn't play last year, uh, do you, do you view him as a rookie or did he get so much time in meetings and in, in the practice he got in December? Is, is he not, is he not really to be looked at as a rookie, even though he hasn't played? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, he is so smart. Okay. He's so smart and he works hard. 
So, I mean, he is going to be, I don't view him, I, I do view him as a rookie for all the reasons that I already mentioned. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, okay, like going into the first game, I'm not apprehensive about him. I'm, I'm not worried about him. Whereas if it was last year, so I mean, so mentally we are ahead, obviously, because he's well, he's obviously very prepared for the scheme because he sat in every single meeting. He was at every practice. And so, you know, I do, I feel great about him uh, being ready to go. You know, and like I told him, I said, you, you you can never read the paper. You can never listen to the radio. I said, when you play in your first couple games, you know, you're not going to be as good as you're going to be when you play in your third and fourth game and your fifth and sixth game. So your growth is going to go through the roof. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, so, you know, it's not like, uh, it's not like boxing, you know, like in boxing. I mean, uh, I was, I was in, in, high school I was in college when Mike Tyson was coming up you know and I watched them groom him you know so they didn't put him against the heavyweight champ you know in his first 10 professional fights they groomed him you know well you don't get to do that in the NFL (laughs) you gotta line up against the champ on you know every week and so you don't get to groom guys that way so especially when they have to play early yeah and uh so you know but the bottom line is he's ready to do that um, we're going to have a young quarterback that's going to be energetic and, and, uh, you know, so the, the two of them are going to go into this together, really. So I think it's, uh, I'm happy about it. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't want any other player to come in here and, and, and I would take nobody else over Jonah Williams. I want that guy to come in and play for us and I know he will. And you got Mike Jordan standing next to him, you know, another player that I think, uh, you know, uh, just size wise and maturity wise. I mean, he's going to, he, he will have grown so much this past year. He was so much better in the last game to the, be, compared to the first game. It was incredible. And he wasn't bad in the first game that he played either. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and he, you know, he played a good amount of football last year. Um, Mike played 667 snaps. And so most of those were at left guard, and then he had 14 at right guard, and then one at tight end. But he got a lot of reps. That's a that's a decent amount of reps. You're talking about, you know, six to seven games worth of reps right there. And so he's not coming in fresh off the street. Now that left side right there, you know, like the other good thing for Mike is, you know, Mike doesn't have to hit a grand slam his first time out either. We, I don't know, we got we got Alex Redman, we got Xavier Stuafilo. We got Mike Jordan. So they're all going to be in the position right there. You got Billy Price, who's inside as well, um, ready to play center or guard. So I feel good. I feel good that uh, we'll be ready to play. And I feel, you know, if, if those two are the starting left tackle and left guard in the first game, Mike Jordan and Jonah Williams, uh, we're going to be ready to play. And uh, and I think there's a, just a sense of excitement Um with uh with the new quarterback coming in obviously and uh and the type of character that he brings and the toughness that he's shown you know this is going to be a gritty group and I I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it you know everyone I've talked to in this off season from Duke to Zach to Brian have have all you know thrown their support behind Mike and and really all the guys and, and said that you know, they're ready to go with, with the, the line that they have and they, they back that up. You, you signed one guy in free agency and you only draft one guy late. 
Uh, you already you already touched on Xavier, but I was curious about Adenajai. He's a really interesting guy. And and Brian mentioned at, at the Senior Bowl, you know, you guys didn't have him on your team, but he talked about sitting down with him in the lunchroom and, and talking to him over the lunch period. Were, were you part of those conversations as well? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I, I was, you know, I didn't sit down with him at lunch. Um, but I mean, I was, uh, I spent a lot of time with him. So I, I was the line coach. So when I went in there, I thought I had him on my team. So then when I got there, they told me that I didn't have him on my team, oh. which pissed me off because, you know, I, I liked him on tape before I even went there. I, I had, I had singled him out as what I thought was the best lineman there. I thought he was the best lineman there. And I had already thought that going in. So when I was going to have him on my team, I was fired up. And then when I got there, you know, they told me he was playing on the other team. So I only got, I got less amount of time with him. But at the same time, the time that I did, so I, I got to meet with him, you know, for a good 45 minutes to an hour um, at the senior bowl because we got time slotted where I got to switch lines with the other line coach. Mm-hmm. And so I got to spend a good amount of time with him. And the only reason I spent a lot of time with him was, you know, I had them slated to just spend a little bit of time with each one of them, but he just jumped out at me when I was talking to him. I knew that I liked him, so I wanted to like him. You know, I wanted to him to have a good interview. And then he just jumped off the map at me, you know, because, you, you know, a lot of times you like a guy, and then when you talk to him, you know, you realize after you're speaking to him that he doesn't have the character, and he, he's not the kind of guy that I like, and he's not the kind of guy that's going to fit into this offense. And so that happens a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so when I sat with him, it was the exact opposite. You know, he just, just watching him, you know, there's a, uh, you know, there's a, there's a youthfulness to him. You know, he, he just, he just loves the football. You know, he just loves it like he's a child. And, and those are the people, that, you know, in the end, right? It's a game. It's played by grown men, but it's a game. And so, you know, and these guys have an opportunity to have their full-time job is a game. And so if you can maintain what got you here, which, and the one thing that got them all here, other than their talent, is their love of the game. And you had to love it at some point. And to be great at this game, you have to love it. And just like any, just like any other major league sport, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I was listening to the radio yesterday and, uh, they interviewed the, the Cincinnati Reds baseball player, uh, Adam Rosales. And it was a great interview. I mean, if you didn't, if, if, I don't even know who he is, all right? I didn't grow up in Cincinnati and I was, I've only been here for the last year. Um, I've heard his name before, but I didn't know who he was. And, but they talked about when he, he said when he was 12, like, I, I know you, you probably know all this, but like he, when he hit a home run, he'd sprint around the bases like a 12 year old. Yeah. And, and so I heard him talk about it, right? And even when you listen to the interview, he still sounded like a 12 year old, which I love. And, and so he said the reason he did that was when he was 12, he did that naturally. He just sprinted around the bases. He said everybody laughed when he was 12 and they laughed when he was in the pros. And he said, but I always hung on to that. I always hung on to that love of it, you know, and just, uh, you know, that work ethic, you know, it's like, you know, he just, a work ethic thing. It's a character thing. And, uh, it's a passion for the game thing. And so when I sat there with the Denergy, it was the same thing. Just listening to him talk. I said, this, you know, and, and I think one of the things in your business and mine 
is to be able to read people, right? So a lot of people are full of it, right? They're going to tell you the story they want you to hear in your business. And, and in my business, they're going to tell me who they think I want them to be so that I'll take them. And then when I get them, they're not who, who they said they were because they are who they are. Hmm. And so a lot of guys are trying to paint a rosy picture. And the world today is so versed at that, right? So they all take classes. Their agents are telling them what to say and all this other stuff. And it's a bunch of crap. And and the bottom line is, you know, you just want to know who the guy is. And so as I was sitting there talking to him, I, I really got a picture of who he was. And he was, uh, he's a guy that loves playing ball. You know, um, you know, he didn't make any excuses about anything, you know, why he was at Kansas and, and not at, uh, Alabama or A&M. Um, he made no excuses, you know, when they pushed him over to play guard. He's a tackle. He played tackle uh, almost every snap in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when they pushed him over to guard in the game, right, you know, I'm thinking he's, he would have been pissed off. He's like, no, I just want to play. So he's just like a kid. He just wants to, he just wanted to play in the game. He didn't say, oh, if I don't get to showcase myself at tackle in the senior bowl, I'm not going to, it's going to hurt my draft status and all this other business. He didn't care. And he just wanted to play. And so just listening to that side of him, I was like, this guy. And so I liked him. And so, and then when you listen to him and, and talk about his mom and, and, and the upbringing that he had and, and so on, um, a Texas kid, um, you know, I just, I just really liked the kid and I love what he brings to the table. Um, couldn't believe he was still there in the sixth round. Mm-hmm. Didn't think he'd be there after the fourth round, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I even had him slated higher than that, but I didn't think he'd ever last after the fourth round. Oh. And uh, and uh, so, you know, I'm excited to have him here. Yeah, not to discount his chances, but I mean, it, it feels like the, the the biggest question mark right now is going to be that that battle between Bobby and Fred at, at right tackle. How how eager are you to see how that plays out? Um, I love that battle right there, and. You know, I know Bobby will step up to the plate and I know Freddie's going to be right there, you know, and, you know, both of them have talent. Um, and Freddie's got size and he's got talent. You know, Bobby's got experience and he's got talent. Um, you know, so that's a good matchup, you know, and uh, to be honest with you, going into every season, you know, I listen to Anthony Munoz talk about him going into every season, you know, and I just listen to the man talk and, and how every season that he went into, you know, he, he basically said, you know, he felt like he was just starting over again. Like I had to earn my starting position to listen to him talk. You realize what makes these guys great, you know, because he said, I, I had to earn my starting position. Never mind the Hall of Fame or, you know, being great. I just felt like I had to earn my starting position for you. And he said, I started with that. So I worked that way in the off season. And then when I went to camp, I felt like I had to earn it. So I felt like I had to beat guys out. And I think this group understands that we will bench you. We will sit you down if the guy behind you is better than you. And it's that simple. So, you know, it's not a big tough guy act or anything. It's real. I mean, we will play guys that are we'll play the best five guys. And I think we've proven that since we've been here. And, you know, so they're going to compete at every position. 
Uh, I mean, you just look at Trey Hopkins as our center. He's an undrafted free agent. And I think he's one of the best centers in the league. And I think his career is going to take off right now. And, you know, he's going into his eighth year. So, uh, you know, I just feel good. I feel really good about uh, where he's at. I feel good that we're going to compete inside. Every position is a competition. Um, every position is a competition. I mean, you got Xavier, you got Alex, you got Mike Jordan. Um, you got Billy Price in there. I mean, you can't forget about him mm-hmm. uh, being a factor in there. And so, uh, you know, I think they all know coming in that they're going to have to compete. And, you know, in the end, people say, well, how do you decide who to pick and all that? I, it really comes down to it's this simple. I mean, who you watch the tape, <laughs> you can almost count the blocks. You know, like in other sports, it's easier to measure. You know, a guy hits this amount of home runs, another guy hits that amount of home runs. Okay, the one with the more home runs is the one that's going to, or the one with the more base hits. You know, you can count them that way. Well, when you're looking at lines, really, it's hard to do that. So, but it really comes down to that. If you block more guys at, at this position than the guy behind you, then you play. If the guy behind you is blocking more guys, then, then he plays. And, and then you have to measure, you know, who they're blocking as well. So, uh, so there is a little bit of, uh, you know, gray area there as to how to, how to figure that out. But at the same time, it really comes down to that. Who's a better blocker? Who has more production? And like, so I, I'm not into all these sayings and all this other stuff, but I do have one thing that I say to the players consistently, and that's, it's all about production. You got to block people. And if you can't, we got to find somebody that can. And it's all about production. It's all about the numbers you put up. And so it's that simple. There'll be competition at every position. All right, Jay. Great, great stuff with, uh, with, with Jim Turner. Um, what was your, what was your initial takeaway after getting off the phone with, with Jim? Uh, I was, I mean, I was so appreciative. It was, uh, 9 a.m. on a day last week. You know, these guys are busy, even though they're not in the facility. They're, they're they're really busy right now maybe busier because of the fact that they're not in the in the facility and uh, I was just really appreciative he took the time to talk he's he's holed up as you heard in his basement um that's that's where his office is he stares at his ping pong table and his hot water heater and gets his work done down there um i i was struck by he said that Hakeem Adenajai their 6 round pick he he went to the senior bowl thinking he was the best tackle down there and just how thrilled he was. He said he didn't think he'd get out of the fourth round and to, to get him in the sixth round. Um, he's, he's, he's really excited about him. He even said, you know, when those sixth and seventh round picks, you're thinking, eh, you know, it doesn't really matter if they make the team or not. He said, that's not the case with this guy. He really thinks he has a future. Um, the other thing is just how difficult it is, is not being able to, to get their hands on these guys that, that there's, there's no other position group where that's as important as the the, the physical teaching of technique and, and going through um, all the all the different processes and it, it's it's got to be really hard, especially when you have guys that are so young and you are counting on absolutely counting on to make this big leap. Um, he he 
I asked him if he felt pressure, if he felt scrutiny, and, and he he said no. This is his job. Um, he knew when he came here it was it was a work in progress. He didn't expect it was going to be great right off the bat, but he's really excited about the direction they're going. And he just echoed what what Zach Taylor and what Duke Tobin and what Brian Callahan have told us all off season that that they are firmly behind this group of linemen and, and think they're ready to take the next step. Let's answer this question or let's offer our opinions on this question. <laughs> maybe, maybe the defining question, uh, in a lot of ways of the 2020 season in whatever capacity and whenever we see it. Uh, do you believe Jim Turner can get it done? So to speak, do you believe in what he's selling? Do you believe he can get it out of these guys? I do. You, you look at last year, you, you lose your first round pick in OTAs, your starting left tackle, as he mentions in the interview, if you're going to have a problem on the offensive line, the worst place it can be is at, at left tackle. Um, they navigated that. Uh, that they, they had the Michael Jordan really wasn't what he was, what they thought he was going to be. He, he was slow to start there. You're, you're playing guys, Andre Smith and John Jerry, who you signed off the street, who, uh, by the way, are probably done. They, they, I mean, they gave great effort, but they just weren't getting the job done. They, they had so many obstacles last year and for them to rip up the running game at midseason, as you wrote about, and, and really turn that around and be one of the better rushing teams in the second of the half, second half of the season. Um, I don't know how anyone could feel anything but optimism, even though they didn't add a lot of personnel to that group in the offseason. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, and I know that I've been on this soapbox for a while. There, <laughs> Jim, Jim Turner's, I mean, his style is unique. And I do think, I, I do think he has a lot of guys in that room that believe in him. I, I, I believe that to be true from people that have told me that. Um, I, I think that's the case. I, I, there's one aspect that stands out to me is the consistent desire to bench guys to move things around. We saw a lot of that last year and granted they were, I mean, they were in trouble. They were in a bad spot. Everybody's playing bad. You know, you just need continuity. You need the right guys out there. And there's so much, there was so much change and maybe they feel like if they have the right guys this year, there won't be, but you know, you've got competitions in a lot of spots so you could just you could see that happening again and i i think that it breeds not it has guys playing tight it has mistrust it has guys playing next to guys that are not com- haven't been playing with you, you don't want to see too much of that and and look if you're a guy that stood that has fought and is trying to you know, continue to sell to me that bobby hart is you know anthony munoz like there's just it, it's it's a it's a little over the top. Like Bobby Hart is fine. He he was very much okay if you're if you want to be optimistic. But like the continual like belief that gets sold about that guy, um, you know, you I, I don't know. I, I just I I'm not sure how much I trust his valuations all the time, and I I you. You wonder because that's what they're that's what they're on right now. They are on 
the evaluations of the current players that they have, believing that it's developing and going to go in the right direction. That starts with Jim Turner's evaluations, and, and I don't know that we can completely trust those yet. He he may he may prove it right, but this is really a huge year for him because you know you can make it like we did all talked about this all offseason. You can make excuses for a lot of things that they didn't know their personnel, didn't know how everything would work together last year, and it took took a while. And they this offseason sort of proved that in the way they attacked things. This is now Jim Turner's chance to prove that that he has a better understanding of who he has and exactly what they can do and that he can make it work. Um, the pressure is certainly on. Yeah, that the you make a good point with the, the quick trigger thing. I, I, there, I think there needs to be a balance there because you you don't want guys to get comfortable and, and figure they they've got they've got us if they win a starting spot out of camp it's theirs. You, you want them to to know that they have to keep performing to hold that job, but you also don't want them looking over their shoulder every time they make a penalty or give up a sack and wonder if they're going to get benched. So I, I do think that is something that, that needs to change and stabilize and they got to, they, they have to find kind of that, that balance there where you push guys, but you, you don't have them looking over their shoulder. Yeah. And keep selling Alex Redman to me too. <laughs> Sorry. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's kind of we we go into the off. We talk about the offensive line so much. I it feels yeah. a little repetitive to continue to go down this topic, especially when you know they're in an off season that's not even happening, and we're still a ways off from anything. So uh, hang in there with that. Um, other quick here are run pastor boot on that run pastor boot. Jay Morrison, number of starting lineups on the offensive line next year, two or less, three to five. Or six plus run pass or boot. Well, they better hope it's not six plus, or it's it's going to be <laughs> an ugly season. Um, I two or less, just I mean that almost seems pie in the sky in, in the game of football, especially when you're going to have guys that aren't going to be fully conditioned because of this off season. Um, I'll run with the middle with the three to five. Um, I'll. I'll pass on six or more. It's not, it's obviously not what they want, but I, I think that's more likely than them actually getting through a season relatively injury free where they only have to make one or two or none swaps on that in the starting lineup at any point. Yeah. I mean, offensive linemen are probably going to get injured, but there, I mean, there certainly have been seasons where, you know, you have the same five guys playing a lot. You know, playing the vast majority of those games together. I'm with you. I'll, I'll boot two or less. I'm, te- I'll run with three to five. I'm going to tell you, I'm tempted to run with six plus. I feel like we're going to see, hmm, we're going to see movement. I mean, between, you know, cause, you know, start just different starting lineups, not just one guy hurt, but then one guy hurt and another guy's out, you know, they, and then a competition at the other position, there's a flop and now you get, that's a new, new lineup too. A lot of different lineup combinations can be out there. It's only 16 games, I guess, but potentially 14 games. But uh, I, I'm I'm tempted to pull the trigger on six plus, but I'll say three to five. I guess if I'm going for the bonus point, I'll say five. If I'm going for the bonus point, I might be. Just put that on the record for me. What was last year? I want to say it was, it was it seven 16? or eight. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, was like it might have been sixteen. It felt like sixteen last year. Uh, I will look that up, and I will also look at because you you make a good you you said that you think there have been years. I I wonder um, what the most consistent year has been. We, we thirteen. We, I've got twenty thirteen. 
I'm almost positive. Okay. They, I think they might have had the same five every – that's another one we have to go back and look up. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I feel like in 2013 they had almost the entire line all year. 15 was probably pretty good too. Uh, usually there was, there was like the occasional Andre Smith injury, but like Whitworth mm-hmm. was a an every every week dude. Zeitler, I mean Bodine never missed a game. Like these guys were not; those dudes were not getting her bowling. I mean, the, those guys were just not getting hurt very often. No, was thirteen was the year? No, that was when bowling actually got hurt. He that tore his ACL. ACL. Yeah. In San Diego, and Anthony Collins, AC came in, stopped sitting his ass down, and came in, uh, and uh, and played played great, and got a huge contract off of it. But yeah, that was like the only injury that year. I want to say, I mean, there's, it's it's they've had they've had a few in there where there's not not very many. It feels like a Jay Morrison, Jay's got stats project is coming. Yeah, exactly. That that's my homework for next week. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, that'll uh, that'll wrap us up. Uh, reminder again: uh, in a few weeks, we are going to have our Game Changers podcast, where Jay, myself, Mo Egger, and uh, a few guests will dive back into the 1990 Cincinnati Bengals and take a look at the last team to win a playoff game through the lens of that game and the game that followed of it, followed it, otherwise known as the day. The Bo Jackson curse was born. And, uh, so a lot to dive into there. Um, and because that's certainly, it's amazing how long ago, you know, we were talking about you're, you're going on, uh, going on 30, 30 years, 30 and counting, right? So, uh, we're, we're, we're going on 30 years on that one, 25 on the Reds one that is just up, uh, today. If you, if you are a Reds fan, if you were in the 90s, or just love baseball that in that era, uh, it was a fun conversation. I got to tell you, I really enjoyed doing it. Jeff Brantley was great as well. So, uh, if you get a chance, flip on over to WARP in Cincinnati and listen to that. Otherwise, thanks everybody for tuning in here tonight and hear that podcast ground. We will, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.